for us to continue on the series that we're in because we're talking about a man that many of us can't really relate to. Many of us can't relate to a guy being a blue-collar worker as a shepherd to becoming a national hero. Like, many of us can't relate to that part of his story, but many of us can relate to his mistakes, his mindset, his mentality over the mistakes he's made. Like, the tagline of the series has been a gifted poet, a legendary leader, flawed man. This describes one of the, the greatest leaders or the greatest king of the nation of Israel, and his name is David. We talked about last week a big mistake that David made, a mistake that many of us can relate to, is that when we are angry or isolated or, or upset, when we're emotionally charged, we end up making decisions that put us deeper into a hole. We end up saying, you know what, I got this. I know how to get myself out of this hole. I know what to do. And we end up putting ourselves deeper into a hole and distancing ourselves further from my heavenly father because I say, I got this. You know what, I, I know what I'm doing. I've got myself in, this, in this, this hole I'm in. I can get myself out. It's hard for us to see that in ourselves, but it is so easy. It is so easy to look at family and friends and say, do they realize what they're doing? Do they realize the mistakes they're making? Do they realize the decisions that they're making are damaging them? And we saw that in David's life. That David said, I got this. I know what I'm doing. I have everything under control. And he decided to take things in his own hands. But in reality, not only did it hurt him, it hurt the people around him. Because he felt, I know what I'm doing. Today we continue with the story of David. And we are jumping into the story of David at the moment where he is at the verge of making another massive mistake in his life. But, like many men, he gets saved from making a big mistake by a woman. He gets saved by a woman. Before we get into the story, let's talk some ethics real quick. The ethic of reciprocity. The ethic of reciprocity. What on earth? Does that mean? The ethic of reciprocity is a, is, is, is a guideline or a truth that many world religions follow. Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, many follow this ethic, which is, many of us know it as the golden rule. Do unto others as you would want them to do unto, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. It seems pretty clear. Like, treat others the same way that you would want to be treated. If someone d stabs you behind your back, many of us will then take this golden rule and apply it and say, okay, if they stab me behind my back or they did something to upset me, then it's only fair that I reciprocate back to them. They did this to me, okay. It only makes logical sense that my ethic should then be that I respond back to them in the same way, that I should attack them the same way they did to me. It only makes logical sense. And many of us feel, you know what, what feels right, what feels ethical, is for me to get even with them. And many of us use that saying, it's time for me to get even with them. Think about it for a second. If someone does something to hurt me, and I say, okay, now it's time for me to get even with them. Just bear with me for a second. If someone does something to upset me or to hurt me, why would I want to get even with them? Why do I want to get down to their level of how they behave or how they act or how they react to me? Why do I want to get down to their level and be even with them? Like, wh wh why do I want to, to reach their level 
I said, oh, I'm going to get even with them. Okay, why? If, if they're stooping down low, why would you want to stoop yourself down low? But many of us put ourselves into that situation. Now, back to the story of David, now that we understand the ethic of reciprocity. So going back to David's story, David now is at what was, became super popular because he was a 15-year-old kid that called into the front lines of a battle and beat down and killed and slaughtered Goliath. And from that moment, he became extremely popular, but their attention began to arise with the current king, which is King Saul, seeing this little kid rising in popularity. And there's a little tension that occurs, and they end up becoming family. And then King Saul says, I can't take it, enough. I can't take it with this kid anymore. I need to go take him down. And he ends up trying to hunt David and tries to kill him. So David, with his posse, decides to run away so they don't get killed. And David and his crew are just roaming around into in caves, into mountains, into desert as a fugitive, trying to run away before they get killed by King Saul and his group. And this is where we jump into a story of where David is. He's popular, but at the same time, he's running away for his safety. A certain man of Moan, Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. So there was a guy that was very wealthy. He had two thousand. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Pause. David is sending a message to, to some of his guys and says, Hey, hey, I, I, there's a super wealthy guy named Nabal. He's on the other side of this mountain. I want you to go to him and, 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 and tell him, like, you know, if he has anything for us. So just to give you some historical context, when any wealthy person is shearing sheep, like, that's payday. Like, for anyone to have tons of sheep, like this guy had, Nabal. And when it came time to the time of the year where you start shearing the sheep, this is payday. Like, this is a, this is a feast. Like, this is a celebration. And historically, when somebody is that wealthy and having all this, the sheep and shearing them, he feels generous. And he usually tends to give to those in need. So this is the historical or cultural context of a wealthy person that has tons of sheep and is shearing them. This is, and this is why David is telling his friends to go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name, saying, long life to you. This is great, good health to you. Like, happy feast and to your household and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. I heard it's payday. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. David is telling his friends to go tell Nabal, listen, we've been roaming around this mountain. We've been roaming around this area, running away from King Saul. We were around your people. We were around your sheep. And we did not do any harm to your sheep. We could have easily killed them, got some food. We could have easily done it. We could have easily stolen a few of your sheep. But we were here on top of the mountain protecting you guys and didn't do any harm to you guys. Therefore, be favorable toward my men. Since we come at a festive time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, 
Who is this David kid? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I, me, wealthy, I own all the sheep, why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for, for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? Like, why? like, tell me why. Tell me why should I be generous to you? This is my property. These are my sheep. It's payday, baby. It's all me. Why should I give you anything? Give me one logical reason. Why should, I don't even know you. I don't even know your, your name. Who is this, uh, who, I, why should I give you? Give me one reason why I should give you any of my property, any of my wealth on payday. Give me one reason. David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word to David. David said to his men, fellas, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped, on his, on, strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. What's David's mentality? David gets the report back from his guys. He's like, oh, he doesn't want to share? Okay. Let's go, fellas. Tom, get your swords. Let's give him a little taste of his, of his medicine. He doesn't want to be generous to, him, to us when we protected his stuff. Okay. Many of us can relate to this saying. Hurt people hurt people. People who are hurt hurt people. Why was David's reaction? He's like, oh, Nabal wants to, wants to act like that? He doesn't want to give us anything? Okay. Let's go, get, let's go down the mountain. Let's give him a piece of my mind. David is hurt. David is hurt. David is a hurt person running away from, his, from a family member, from his family, running away from King Saul to protect himself. And he is, he's agitated. He's hurt. He's lonely. And he's a hurt person planning to hurt other people. Many of us are the same way. When we're hurt, it's easy for us then to take out our, 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 our anger, maybe on our spouse, maybe those around us, without realizing. Hurt people hurt people. And David had a mentality that many of us have. He justified his rights. He justified his actions. It's only ethical, it's only right that he is being mean to me, okay? The only thing is for me to reciprocate that back to him. That's ethics. He's being mean to me, so I'm going to give him a piece of my medicine, of my, of my mind. That It only makes sense. And he began to justify his actions. And many of us do that. We come up with excuses, justification for the mistakes and decisions that we make. Uh, it's fine for me to, to message this person. It's fine for me to go out with this person. It's fine for me to do that. You know, because I'm in this position, I'm unique. It's okay. The beauty of our ancient faith, the beauty of our ancient faith, that the church guides us of how we should communicate and how we should talk to our Heavenly Father. We talked about last week that the church gave us a guide, this book, which is the collection of ancient prayers that the church has used for centuries to guide us in prayer. And there's a part in the middle during the sixth hour of the day where we say, and you hear it every Sunday in the service, Lord, there is no excuse, there is no justification for my sins. There is no excuse, there's no justification because of the dumb mistakes that I make. I get very creative of, of giving myself excuses or a reason of why I should act this, why I should respond this, why should I give it back to that person. I have every right, and we justify it. 
But the church reminds us, okay, you know what? When I pray, instead of just saying, Lord, bless me, the, ch Lord should, the, the church is teaching me to say, you know what? There is no excuse. There's no justification because of my mistakes. I need to stop getting creative of justifying my actions. Continue. One of the servants told Abigail, which is Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near him. So a servant is now telling Abigail, dude, why, why is your husband like snapping like that? Why is he overreacting? Like David and his crew like have been very nice to us. They've been kind of been protecting us basically on top of the mountain. Didn't take, they didn't steal any of our sheep. They didn't do any of that. So like, why is your, why is your, why is your husband losing it like that? Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is coming. It's hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five measures of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes and a partridge and a pear tree, <laughs> and pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her. And Abigail now intersects with David and his crew. David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property, watching the ball's place in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David so it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Now, David is a hurt person planning to hurt people. And he's, on, he's coming down that mountain, and he sees Abigail from afar, and he sees a bunch of donkeys with a bunch of stuff. But the only thing he is that's on his mind is just anger and revenge and, and wanting to give it to him. When Abigail saw da David... She quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Abigail, in her wisdom, says, Okay, if I'm going to kind of dissolve this conflict, dissolve this tension of David about to crush my husband and take down this entire village, let me come with love. Let me come with grace. Let me come with patience. Let me come with humility. Ladies, I'm not saying, this is a different historical context. I'm not saying that you do a prostration in front of your husband. And, uh, I'm not saying this. But now she is coming to this man with respect and honor, wanting to dissolve any type of conflict or tension. Please pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal, my husband. He is just like his name. His name actually means fool. And folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, Abigail, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord 
be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Look into how smart and witty Abigail is. She's now coming to, to, to David with submission, with humility, with grace, and saying, I, look, look at you. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed. He's saying, I know you're not going to do anything. I know the Lord, your God, the one that you love to talk to, I know you're not going to have any bloodshed. I know you're not going to do that. Like she's say, saying something about, she's putting it into reality, or she's, she's kind of predicting, well, he's telling David, I know you're not going to do that. I know you're not going to do that. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Abigail, with her grace, the Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty. The Lord, the Lord has so many great things planned for you, David. God has so many great things for you. Are you really wanting to ruin it? Because you're a hurt person wanting to hurt people. Are you wanting to really ruin it? Abigail's basically telling David, what story do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell? Do you want to throw it all away just because you want to get back evil? With, you just want to, you want to have this ethic of he does something bad to me, I'm going to do bad to him? You want to go by that? What story do you want to tell? Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my, he's talking about like Saul. So Abigail's saying, even though someone, even though Saul is pursuing you to take your life, David, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as far from the pocket of a sling. Let's take down of what Abigail's telling David. Even though Saul is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord you, David, will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. Abigail's saying, even though, I, I, I get it. I know Saul's trying to take you down. I get it. I know you're trying to run. I, I get it. I know you're a fugitive. But you, David, God has you tucked securely and is protecting you. Actually, this, this, this language, this imagery that Abigail's saying, Abigail's saying, God it has your life, David, tucked in into God's wallet. God has you protected. God has great plans for you. Are you going to ruin it now just because of, of your emotionally charged response? Gabriel's saying, God has so many great things planned for you, David. Like, just pause, think. What story do you want to tell? Are you wanting to ruin it just because you're wanting to get back? God has you stored securely in your wallet. Ladies, imagery for you is... God has you stored in God's purse. Think how many things are in my mom's purse. There's 10,000 things in it. And David's life is secured in God's wallet. When the Lord has fulfilled, when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. What is Abigail saying? When you become king, when all this becomes into fruition, you're not going to have hanging over you the mistake that you made of wanting to get back at Nabal. You're not, you you're not going to have any of that hanging over your shoulder because I know you're not going to do this. 
And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember me. Remember me. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to me, if Abigail, if you did not act quickly, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went back to her husband, Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. It's payday, baby. He's celebrating. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. She was wise. She's like, okay, if I'm going to break it to, to my husband, like my whole conversation would happen with, with, uh, with David, let me kind of wait until morning until he's, you know, he's sober. Then the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things. And his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. Again, this is the historical context of Abigail became one of David's many wives, but that's a different conversation for a different time. <laughs> but let's pause the story here. We have three main people in this, in this conflict that arose. Nabal, David, and Abigail. Nabal was saying he's wanting to, to pay evil for good. Like the good that David and his group has been doing to protecting Nabal and his, and his community Nabal is wanting to give back evil, saying, no, you get nothing. Why, I, don't, I, I don't owe you anything. I didn't ask you to do anything. So Nabal is saying he wanted to repay evil for good. Well, many of ethics, many people that, that put ethics up high would say, no, this is not ethical. This is not ethical. This would be unethical to do that. If someone's being good to you, you be good to them. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. Like, David's approach was evil for evil. Oh, okay, Nabal, you don't want to be nice to me? You don't want to give me any of, any of, your, any of your sheep? You got paid? You don't want to give me anything? Okay. It only, it's only natural, it is only ethical for me to respond back the same way that you did to me. It only makes sense. Everyone else would agree with that. Abigail came giving good for evil. Abigail, not being emotionally driven, but being spirit-led, paused, and acted swiftly and says, you know what, I need to, to cool down this conflict before there's a mistake that people are going to look back, before David is going to look back at his life and regret this mistake that he made. Let me just come with humility, let me just come with patience, let me come with grace, and kind of just talk to him and try to dissolve this. She came with good for evil. This is not ethics. This is divine. You are called, my friends, let me put it this way, Anyone who desires to follow Jesus, you are not called to follow the golden rule. You are not called to be ethical. Everyone is ethical. Everyone would say what David is doing makes sense. Evil for evil. That makes total sense. If I'm good to you, I'm, I'm going to be good to you. It only makes sense. This is ethical. This is why every worldview, every world religion has this as a platform, has a staple. But you are called, I am called not to follow that. We are not called to follow the golden rule, we are called to follow the platinum rule. 
not giving good for good. Peter, St. Peter, one of the first followers of Jesus, one of those 12 guys that decided to commit his life to following Jesus. This is what he told early Christians who were being persecuted. He's writing a letter to early Christians being persecuted. Do not repay evil with evil or insult. With, I know they're persecuting, but do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, on the opposite, repay evil with blessing. Because this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. You are called not to give bad for bad. You are called to live above that. You are called, you are designed for more than that. Question for us. Do I really want to be even with someone I don't even like? Do I want to be even? Like, do I really want to get back? Okay, if I don't like the guy, like, wh like why am I wanting to get back if I'm wanting to, to, to rise above him, I have to restrain myself and not just want to stoop down to get down to his level. Getting even is easy. Getting even is ethical, many people would say. But you are called. You are designed not to be ethical. You are designed to pursue divine ethics. You are called to pursue divine ethics. Your designer, my designer, does not call me to... to to pay evil for evil or good for good. My, desire, my designer, my heavenly father, has called me to live above and beyond that. Instead of getting even with somebody, pull ahead of that person by resisting to get even. Pull ahead of that person. Rise above that person by resisting to get even. When the emotions get the best of us, and we're about to make a mistake that we'll look back and say, what did I do that? Ask yourself, what story do I want to tell? Do I want to say that I got even with that person, so that's why I text them back, that's why I emailed them back, that's why I did this to them? Because I want to be an ethical person. They did this to me, now it only makes sense for me to, get, to do the same. What story do you want to tell? That's the question Abigail asked, Dave. Last question for us to think about. What would it look like? What would it look like for me to return good for evil? What would it look like? If I made it my pursuit to always extend goodness, always to extend love, always to pursue divine ethics, if I continue to pursue that, what would it look like? I'm, I'll tell you, if you pursue that, any grudge, any bitterness that you have against someone else, that won't be holding you back. They won't own you. That person that, that's, that's behaving bad to you, they won't own you. What would it look like? What would it like for me to return good for evil? Questions for us to think about this week. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, so many of us can relate to David. Somebody who justified himself, justified his actions. I have every right to act this way. I have every right to give it back. And we can all relate to that. But when we do that, we're giving someone else the privilege and the authority. They control our joy. They control our life. But you didn't call us just to be even. But you have called us to live for something so much more than that. Help us to realize 
that you have created us in such a beautiful and special way and have called us to live above and beyond that. Through the prayers of all your saints, hear us as we all pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, thank you guys. Uh, we will continue our story of David uh, next Sunday. And then in two weeks from now, we will.